0: Uh, when it comes to. Am I on? That sounds low. No? Am I on? Yep. I'm on. There we go. Uh, when it comes to uh, expected things um, in life, <laughs> things that are very often unexpected, how uh, God does things in our lives or blesses us in life, or just history itself, and it made me think of uh, this. A very unhistoric picture, but it's famous, Uh, which is Washington and the Continental Army crossing the icy Delaware River on actually Christmas night in 1776, and this was to create a surprise attack on Trenton, New Jersey, which was incredibly successful, and um, they A bunch of Hessians, which were hired mercenaries by the British, who had celebrated. They're Germans. So there's some Germans here. We know how you celebrate Christmas. Like the Irish, Irish, just with better food. Um, And, uh, you know, the day after Christmas, we're not up springy in the morning, and neither were the Hessians. And, uh, And it was a blizzard. You know, it was an absolute blizzard the only people who died in the American side were those who died because of exposure to cold. It was freezing blizzard and they happened upon some very hungover German mercenaries. And this battle actually changed, uh, was pivotal in uh, changing uh, favor for the war, war, um, motivation, morale, everything went up. It was a great victory. Uh, And You know, as things happen, um, this is unexpected. And so much in life is unexpected. History is full of it. Think of, in our passage here in the opening of Matthew, Joseph. Joseph gets engaged to, betrothed to, which, as we know in, in Israel, was it's a legal thing. If you're betrothed, it's not like it is now. Uh, and Mary turns up pregnant. <clears throat> and then Joseph has a dream in which the angel says, oh, it's okay, Joe, this is by the Holy Spirit. Like, take a, Talk about an unexpected twist in your life. And by the way, this is the one who's going to save his people from, his, from their sins. And so this is the Messiah. So raise him up good, Joseph, you know. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> you know, and, and It's amazing how things can change uh what i'm focusing on here today as we look at the virgin birth is that the grace of god gives us gifts but and all the gifts that we get from god are by his grace right we earn or deserve or merit nothing but they often come to us in strange means and we have can we can have this uh <clears throat> mindset that if things don't come to us the way that we expected, or the gift itself is not what we expected, it could be a he or a she, it could be a person, it could be a thing, it could be a time, an event, a circumstance, and because it's not what we expected, we throw it aside, and we must never do this. If something comes into your life that's unexpected, stop for a second and wonder, pray, is this from the Lord? And if it is... Do what Joseph did. Joseph acted righteously. That's all we have to do. And whatever the circumstance, the person, the thing, whatever it is, act righteously. And then God will lead you down a path that you've never expected could be there for you. But if it's, you know, if we're not, if we're, like, this isn't what we expected. I don't like him. (laughs) You know, I don't like her. I don't like this. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I planned. You know, don't write a script for God and expect him to keep it. You don't get to do that. He writes your script. So accept as much as or as odd as it may be. As far, uh, Announcing some things. Uh, no class on the 21st and 22nd, Tuesday and Wednesday of this month. Uh, secondly, Zoom has moved to Mondays. So we're Mondays, same time at 4 o'clock if you want to join us on Zoom. And uh, I need to talk to folks about timing, but we're going to do another Bible study, which we did as a group, um, and that would be, uh, I would like to come up soon, but I'll I'll talk to those who can attend, and we can set a time. Once I get that time, then I'll re-announce that. (coughs) So uh, we want to do that again. And uh, don't forget that there's a prayer group in which uh, you can either join that group of prayers. Which uh, you you would get on a text thing, um, thing. What do they call uh, group message? Yeah, and uh, and uh, but also if you have prayer requests and you want people to pray for them, uh, you can submit to that. You can either email me through the website uh, or anybody on the list. I guess just email me and we'll get it on the list.
1: All right, let's open
0: up in prayer. Let's be grateful and thankful for today. And learning further about our Lord and his virgin birth. Today we're going to go into Isaiah for some pretty exciting stuff. And uh, so with uh, concentration and humility and reverence before our Lord, let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank You so much for our time. Thank You that You have blessed each of us with salvation through Christ our Lord. That salvation has come to us by grace as He came into this world through the Virgin. And who could have expected what You would do, Father? And You would do for each of us what we could have never imagined. And it's just as You said, it has not entered into our hearts the things that that You have prepared for those who love You and we... Long, Father, to see those things. We also know that we're hindered by our own finite <coughs> sinfulness, our, our selfishness, and, and things that prop up because we are still sinners. Um, we ask, Father, that you would make clear to us the path of righteousness through your spirit and your word, all of which is by grace, not by works, so that we may joyously follow you. Uh, We celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper today, Father. We ask also that you help us to see and remember our Lord in the context that you have given us so that all of us would um, always live our lives in light of his presence, keeping our eyes fixed upon him. We thank you also for the opportunity to sing as you have made and written so many songs of praise. And to, to, uh, to us or for us in the Psalms and so on, we lift up our voices, Father, in worship of you. And we ask, Father, these things in Christ's name. Amen. All rise, please. <laughs> I will start in Matthew 1. <clears throat> so all that mankind receives from God is in grace. Even things like discipline, they're all by grace. Now, grace means, as many of you know, uh, to get or to receive good things from God without thought, to the merit of, the, of us who receive. And so we, the recipient, do not merit anything from God, and he bestows upon us many things. Um, and the list is, is too long to state. We would always come up with more. I, I've heard people uh, have taken upon the challenge, if you've ever heard somebody say, hey, write down 70 things that God has given you that you're thankful for. And anybody I've ever heard this from has said, well, I try, you know, if I tried it, that I I thought, nah, this would be impossible. But once you get rolling, once you start doing it, you actually end up with way more. Um, And that's because God puts and gives to us all things good. Um, But grace, the grace of God, you know, we even call things uh, by grace. We say, well, he's grace, she's grace, that's grace. And, but actually also, not as the thing itself, grace, but the way in which we receive it. Because we don't always receive the way that we imagine. And in this, we have to, sometimes we cast aside things that we have received from God. Uh, some, you know, there are things generally that we don't initially like, uh, but we have not realized that such a thing, the thing, that person is in your life by the grace of God. If you acted righteously towards that person, say it's a person in need, somebody who's uh, really a pain in the, the the gluteus to actually give to, and yet it'd be easier to cast aside, but you hadn't seen that that person was a gift by the grace of God, that if you had acted righteously like Joseph did. as remember, Joseph had every right to cast Mary aside under the Mosaic Law. In Leviticus 20... She, she is clearly not uh, bound to him anymore, and yet he does the righteous thing. And he decided to put her away secretly when he could have exposed her publicly. Again, under the law, he had every right to, to protect his own reputation, and he chooses not to. He does the righteous thing. Now, doing the righteous thing isn't always the easiest thing, of course. We find this to be true when we think about it. Take things like the, when we receive all kinds of stuff, but the stuff that's most important are the spiritual things, like the ability to love like God loves all mankind, patience, courage. Take endurance, for instance. How do we gain endurance? This is James chapter 1, verse 2, how he opens up his letter. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Because trials produce endurance. And as he says, endurance has its perfect result or its mature result. So we're not gaining endurance unless we endure trial. And we often, of course, don't want to. So the virgin birth through Mary teaches us that grace is wonderful. Excuse me. There we go. The virgin birth teaches us that grace is wonderful, and it comes so often in unlikely and unexpected ways. So, as I said in the intro, don't write a script for God and then be shocked when he doesn't follow it. That stage that you have designed for God to walk on may remain empty. That is not his plan for you uh, or for himself, so don't expect it. Oftentimes we'll look at historical events or current events and say, well, this doesn't happen the way that I planned. Of course, it always makes me think of my my rapture friends who predict the rapture every year. Uh, I call them raptards, uh, and uh, they're always a little bit shocked when the rapture doesn't happen on Rosh Hashanah, which just went by again uh, last month. And so unless they went and we didn't, but that's not true. Matthew 1:18. now the birth of Jesus Christ, after the genealogy, oh, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Right? Matthew doesn't keep us in suspense. This is why she is pregnant. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. And when he had considered this, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, it's important here, right? The angel refers to him as son of David in the genealogy. He's really son of Jacob, but, and I mean his father, Jacob, in Matthew's genealogy. But son of David, this is emphasizing the uh, line of Christ. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And this is Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God's, God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, uh, we're going to go to Isaiah now. If you go to Isaiah chapter 6, um, Israel has a sin problem, and this Isaiah brings out, not just Isaiah as we know, but uh, many have brought this out, and many prophets and many writings. And, uh, but in Isaiah 1 through 6, Starting in chapter 1 through chapter 5, I should say Isaiah 1 through 5, Isaiah 6 is an odd and out of character aspect of this book from a prophet. And that's because in all the other prophetic books, the calling, their calling, the calling of the prophet is right at the front of the book. So if you open up uh, Jeremiah, Hosea, Micah, they're all, I I was called, it's right there. In verse one, 1, 1, But in Isaiah, his calling isn't put into his book until chapter 6. And this is strange. Um, for the first five verses, uh, first five chapters, I'm sorry, uh, it's all about the sin of rebellion of Israel. And that's how it begins. And so right as we open this book, we see, wow, Israel has a sin problem. Right there in chapter 1, God says, "Stop." He even says, stop giving me your offerings. Stop, because you're, not, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. I don't even want them anymore. And so this terrible sin problem, it's not just Israel, of course, right? It's the human race. Israel is the picture of it. They're the ones on the pages of Scripture because God elected them to be the nation by which he would bring his salvation and his word. And so they're highlighted. And then Isaiah is called. And as we know, with Isaiah, he he said, I'm not worthy. From these lips, uh, these lips are unclean, he says. How could I speak what you want me to speak to the people? I'm an unclean person. He says my lips are unclean. But Jesus told us what comes from the mouth is really what comes from the heart. Correct. And so what Isaiah is saying is my heart is unclean. But the angel touches Isaiah's mouth with um, a coal uh, from the altar. And this represents the fact that from the altar, from the sacrifice, would come that which would redeem mankind. And Isaiah is so redeemed, Isaiah responds with faith. So that then when God says, who will go for us? Isaiah's picked me. I'm here. I'm ready to go. He's got a complete change of heart. And then God tells him what his message is to be. Look at verse 9. Isaiah 6, 9. Here's what you're going to say, Isaiah. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. What? I mean, this is... This would be like God saying to any pastor, I'm going to give you a pulpit and I want you to get up there and you're going to have thousands of people in your congregation. Oh, this sounds great. And none of them are going to listen to you. None of them. They're going to keep coming back and not listen. So he says in verse 10, render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim." Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Wow. Right? So, Isaiah's ministry is what God says sends him out to harden the hearts of the people. Jesus quotes this verse. On, on, at least, on, on, at, in John chapter 12, he quotes this. Uh, actually, not, not Jesus doesn't. Uh, Jesus quotes Isaiah 53. But uh, John quotes this as this is what Jesus's ministry would be that the people would see his miracles they would hear him they would say wow this man teaches with authority but they would reject him they were not what he what they expected right here's the gift of the son of god here he is he fulfills all these prophecies he's done all these miracles his teaching he's impeccable he's kind and yet, would they say, well, yeah, a carpenter from Nazareth? That was one of their, their contentions. They said, prophets don't come from Nazareth. From Galilee? We hate Galileans. And uh, he even talked. Now, we think Jesus, Galileans had an accent. It would be like someone from Texas talking to a bunch of people in New York and they'd all be like wow you are not from around here. Jesus had the same all of the disciples, all of them from Galilee spoke with a certain accent. How in the world could you be the Messiah? So uh this uh I think it's a fresco or something. <laughs> I don't know my art. But uh this is a, a place in Italy where this wonderful picture shows this at a palace, somebody's palace in Italy. Uh, in which the angel is touching Isaiah's lip with lips with the coal. He picks the tongs and touches his lips. And, you know, as I said, Jesus told us that what comes out of a man's h- mouth is the content of his heart. It's not what goes into you that defiles the man, but what comes out, because that's the content of the heart. But now that Isaiah is cleansed by faith, he's then told to do this hard thing. The grace of God is given to the people. And the grace of God is the means of hardening the hearts of the people. And how do we know that? Well, the very next chapter he goes to, so this is set up, right? This is set up by the Holy Spirit that Isaiah's calling is in chapter 6. And the first person he sent to after he gets this calling of that hear and don't hear and see and don't see is he goes to this. King the king of Judah, who is Ahaz. And Ahaz is an idol-worshipping jerk. He's in the line of David. He's in Matthew's genealogy. And he is uh, he has ironically uh, the the prophecy given to him is that the virgin will be with child. He Ahaz has sacrificed one of his children to the god Moloch, Moloch of the Ammonite. He sacrificed a child. He has plenty of kids, though. It's not like <laughs> he's not like Abraham told to sacrifice Isaac. He's got tons of them from various concubines. He'll, yeah, give that little brat over there to Moloch, no problem. I don't know. Why did they reject Jesus? Well, he's not what they expected. Right? He's a gift. Boy is he a gift. But he's not what they expected. So in the world today, it's the same. Isn't it? What can you do? Why do people reject the gospel? The gospel is the grace of God. What hardens people's hearts is God's grace. That's the hardener. We see it right here in Isaiah. Isaiah goes to Ahaz and says, you know, Ahaz is going to be, Invaded, right? So we did this. Uh, this is Ahaz down here in the kingdom of Judah, and Israel and Syria have bonded together because the Assyrians are coming. We're going to see them in a second, and they're invading. This, both of them together, have made a a team, and they're invading the brown area there, which is Judah, Jerusalem. Ahaz is king, and Ahaz knows they're coming. In Isaiah 7-1, you can read it there, he's shaking like a leaf. He is so scared. And so God sends Isaiah to him and says, look, none of this is going to hit you. They are not going to be successful when they invade. They're going to try and invade, and it's not going to be successful. So he says to Ahaz, don't fear. Now remember that, because we're going to see it again in another king today. Don't fear. I, the Lord, am going to stop them. From invading. So the deliverance. Why does Ahaz not want this deliverance? Because one thing that Ahaz, it's not that Ahaz is a a death wish. Ahaz has made a deal. Here's the Assyrian Empire up here. He made a secret backroom deal with them. And he said, look, I'll give you a bunch of money if you leave me alone. Secret backroom deal. So rather than trust God, he trusts his own deal making. Why? Well, you know, it's physical, it's visible. It's, I handed you money and you hand me a receipt that says no invade, you know. So, you know, but for God, you know, I got to believe in something invisible, something unexpected. These two kingdoms are going to come against me, and God says, don't worry, I'm going to stop them. When has that happened? Does that happen a lot? It doesn't happen a lot. But the prophet told me it would. So uh, in our day, deliverance salvation, their day too, but our day, why do people why does the gospel harden the heart of people? It's because you cannot contribute to your salvation. You cannot give anything to God to be saved. You have to believe that God has done everything and left nothing for you to do. And that hardens hearts. All right, well, maybe I'm willing to consider that. Well, let me also tell you that this murderer over here is, can be saved in the exact same way. And before God, he will not pay for his sins. Because before God, the, the wages of sin is death. And so, yes, this murderer who maybe killed your family has just repented and believed. I just believed. Forget the repent part. That usually, that will come later. But he believed in Christ as his Savior and he's saved. But he killed my family. Yeah, but he's saved and now he's your brother. I don't buy that. Right? Grace hardens the heart. And then there's another aspect of this in which I see this a lot uh, and I've noticed it in some Disney movies lately uh because uh in if you know, in Disney movies other movies too that there's a, you know there's always an a protagonist who gets in trouble and then has to be delivered from someone evil and that deliverance generally comes in some pagan manner. Like we just saw the uh Paw Patrol movie the <laughs> couple days ago. If you don't know what Paw Patrol is, you just don't have kids, it's no big deal, right? But what saved the puppies were these crystals that they found in a meteorite, a meteorite. Crystals, right? That was the salvation, was crystals. Or, you know, it's Mother Earth, right? And people are willing to accept the fact that they can be delivered by the earth. They can be delivered by Mother Earth, or by crystals, or by even by aliens. right? The aliens come to Earth and show us how to fix things, and then they fly off. And people are like, yeah, they're willing to believe that. I met a guy at a wedding once who told me that he was a worshiper of Odin and Thor. Yeah, he was a Norse. His religion was Norse. And I said to him, wait a minute, you think, Odin's a real guy? He was like, oh, absolutely. I'm like, wow. (laughs) That I've never heard before. Anyway, I'd rather, I mean, if people are going to accept deliverance, see, but when you give your life or your will or your wishes of deliverance to paganism, pagan gods never demand you to admit that you are a sinner who cannot contribute anything to your salvation. They do not do that. All pagan gods actually expect you to do something, to appease them. and Then you get their gifts. But with the real, true God, you can give him nothing. And so grace becomes a stumbling block. That's what Jesus called himself. It's one of his titles, right? I'm the cornerstone. Either you build your foundation on the cornerstone or you trip over it. Look at Isaiah 7.10. The Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask for a sign. God said, they're not going to successfully invade. So, ask for a sign from the Lord your God. Make it as deep as Sheol and as high as heaven. And Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. He is feigning humility because he hates the Lord. So then the sign is given anyway. Then he said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? I I see a little anger in Isaiah, righteous anger when he says that. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin. Now, technically, this word is not 100% virgin. This word, Alma, it means a young maiden who's ready for marriage. And then, I would say, probably 999 times out of 1,000, she's a virgin. Because in Israel, that just isn't done. Now, in our day and age, well, it's it's the opposite. If she's a virgin, you're like, what? You know, everybody doesn't understand. So, But anyway, in their day, it's very likely that she's a virgin. But it's not for sure. Okay, so... What we're going to do here is in here, and we're going to go forward about uh, 100 years. And we're going to put ourselves in the place of those who are hearing this. And when Ahaz or anybody hears this, what they're hearing is, again, behold, a virgin or a maiden will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now, the only strange thing here, actually, is Emmanuel. What does that mean? It means God with us. So why would we name a child God with us? All right. But there's a lot of people named after God. There are. All those names that have L in them. That's that's There's your God part. So uh, when Ahaz hears this, he's probably like, so? A maiden is going to have a child. So what? It would mean nothing to him. But it will mean, and anybody listening to it would be like, well, you know, we understand like fiery hail from heaven or earth opening up and swallowing the Assyrians or the, you know, these northern invaders. We've all kinds of signs like give me something from heaven. But a young woman will be pregnant. So what? Hence, we move forward. So we have to keep reading. We really, at this time, reading this, you hear this. Say you're privy to the uh, conversation that Isaiah and Ahaz are having. You would be like, uh, whatever. Uh, What does this mean? So give it time. We'll see what happens. And that's what we have to do. We have to give it time and see what happens. This is one of those sequential prophecies. There's a few of these. Some prophecies are like this is the prophecy and you wait for it to be fulfilled. This prophecy has steps. Now, in Isaiah 39 and 40, there's a break. In Isaiah 39 comes to an end of a section, and then chapter 40, it's different. It's just it's it's different. You read it in English, you see it's different. The whole context of the book is different. Chapters 1 through 39 deal with the failure of Israel, the failure of the nations, God's discipline on Israel and the nations, also interspersed with multiple promises about how God's going to make it all right in the future, like millennial reign stuff. But basically, 1 through 39 is the failure of Israel, the failure of the nations, and God is going to deal with that. And it's it's repetitive often. And we see it here. Ahaz is a huge problem. But then in chapter forty, all of a sudden there's a big switch, and in chapter forty to fifty five, is all about the redemption of Israel and a servant of Israel who is going to bring about that redemption. And that's the focus is the redemption of Israel, who in chapters one through thirty nine are are they doomed. But it's interspersed. I'm oversimplifying here. But the reason why I want to do that is because at the end of the first section, we have another king. So at the beginning of the... Remember, 1 through 5 is, Israel, you stink. Then, chapter 6, Isaiah is called, the first king he sent to, Ahaz. The last king he sent to in this section of the book in 39, Hezekiah. And the two of them have all these similarities. They're both going to get invaded by the Assyrians. And they're both mentioned to be in the presence of a virgin. But, uh, jump forward to Isaiah 49. In this 40 through 55, we'll just put this in our ears first. 49.3. This is a servant song. This is the second servant song. There's four servant songs in this section. They're beautiful. Isaiah 53 is the fourth one. Very famous chapter and rightly so. Isaiah 49, second servant song. And he said to me in verse 3, You are my servant. And notice his name. Israel. You are my servant Israel in whom I will show my glory. Alright, so here we are reading in chapter 49, who's the servant that's going to deliver Israel is, uh, uh, you don't see Jesus here, we're, we're, now we know it's Jesus, I'm not saying it's not Jesus, of course it's Jesus, but at this time, servant is Israel, right, at least that's the name, so Jesus is also given the name Israel, he, he's associated with that name. I mean, heck, it's uh, Jacob's new name, isn't it? After Jacob wrestles with the Lord, the Lord calls him Israel. Okay. Now, go back to, go to chapter 38. Here's Ahaz. Now we go to Hezekiah. And real quick, you know, you have these verses in the notes if you want to check them out. You know, I would suggest that you read Take your time, read chapter 7, and then read 36 through 38. And you'll see, as these multiple parallels, Ahaz and Hezekiah. Hezekiah is 100 years later. They're all in the same line. The, Hezekiah's name is in uh, the genealogy in Matthew 1. So is Ahaz. all well, sons of Judah, well, kings of Israel. Except Ahaz is good. Is he perfect? Oh, he's not even close, but he's good compared to Ahaz. He's compared to Ahaz. You would be awesome, you know. But no insult there. That's not how I meant that. But uh, Hezekiah is good. But Hezekiah does try to bribe. He does. He bribes Assyria, and Assyria takes his money and invades anyway. He tore gold. He went into the temple, or at least had the priest go in there and tear gold off the temple. And he gave it to the Assyrians. And the Assyrian says, thanks, now we're going to still kick your butt. So, anyway, he's not perfect. But there is an Assyrian threat in 717 and one. When the prophet comes to them, they're both in the same place, the upper pool. And they would be there because if you're, uh, if you're a walled city that's going to get invaded, the number one thing you have to secure for yourself is a water supply. So they're at the upper pool. That's no coincidence. 36.1, 7.17. Oh, sorry. 7.3, 36.2. Both of them are told, do not fear by the prophet. Same prophet, Isaiah. 7.4, 37.6. They're both given a sign. In 7.14, Ahaz says, no thanks. Hezekiah agrees to the sign. He actually asks for it. What will be the sign Isaiah says you can have, uh, if you know it, the sun can go either forward or backward. Uh, he chooses backward. So that's uh, thirty-seven, thirty-three, thirty-two, thirty-eight, seven through eight. And then there's a virgin. Seven fourteen and thirty-seven twenty-two. So look at thirty-eight seven. And this shall be a sign for you from the Lord. This is to Hezekiah now. That the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken, which is to protect you from the Assyrians. It's the same promise that is given to Ahaz. You're going to be protected. Behold, I will cause a shadow on the stairway which has gone down with the sun on the stairway of... Notice the name of the stairway. Ahaz. We have no idea why it's called this. But that's its name. The link here is so obvious. I'm going to show you a sign on the stairway of Ahaz. Some think that this was Ahaz's stairway to his private quarters or something like that. It could even be a sundial. Some think it's an actual, some kind of sundial. But it doesn't matter what it is. The name matters. It's the stairway of Ahaz. It'll go back ten steps. Now, this is after now. Just before this, in your reading, if you go back to 36:9, that's just to show the connection between Ahaz and Hezekiah. Now we have Assyria attacking Judah. It rents Assyria rampages the, the whole country, all the towns, and it has taken Lachish as the last town. And it's coming from the south. It's not they're not surrounding the city yet, but they're there. They're like they're there, ready to go. So about two hundred thousand troops, battle hardened troops. These Assyrians are no joke. And uh, so, the uh, messenger from the king of Assyria says this in thirty six nine: Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their land from my hand, that the Lord would deliver Jerusalem from my hand? And he does mention. He does say here. Yavah or Jehovah. Uh, The the king of Assyria says, none of the gods of the other cities have stopped me. Who's to say that your God is going to stop me? He will not. So Hezekiah, who's a little concerned, as he should be, sends servants to Isaiah and a promise is given. Look at uh, 37.5. This comes from Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is not there exact at the time in the exact same place. So messengers are sent to him. The message comes back. So the servants of King Hezekiah 37.5 came to Isaiah. Isaiah said to them, thus you shall say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid. It's the same thing he said to Ahaz. Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard which with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. And so, what does Isaiah do with? Uh, sorry, what does Hezekiah? <laughs> what does he do with this? Ahaz received the promise, said, did nothing with it. Said, no thanks. Here's a sign. No thank you. But Hezekiah does something different. Hezekiah prays. His response is very different. He goes and he prays. He prays as a man of God. Look at thirty-seven fourteen. And Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messenger and read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord. He spread it out before the Lord. Like, this is in other words, this is like this is your word, Lord, that just came to me from your prophet. So I'm going to put it out here in front of you, just so you can see what I'm reading, right? This is the word of the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. And when he prays, the response, that's kind of neat. He doesn't have to really wait too long for his response, because when he prays, a message is sent to Isaiah, and Isaiah sends the response of the prayer back to Hezekiah. So I hope you can keep this all in your head, but if you can't and you're confused, uh, still we have this. Look at thirty seven twenty two. She has despised you and mocked you. The virgin daughter of Zion. She has shaken her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed and against whom have you raised your voice? The your here is Sennacherib. he's the king of Assyria. <clears throat> whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Well, who is it? In verse 22, the virgin daughter of Zion. She has taken her she has, sorry, shaken her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed and against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily lifted up your eyes against the Holy One of Israel? And this (coughs) picture of the virgin daughter shaking her head behind him is the fact that he's walked away in shame. every 185,000 soldiers who were camped somewhere probably just a mile or two away from Jerusalem all woke up dead. The angel of the Lord went into the camp and killed them all. And this king ran home with his tail between his legs. Uh, and here, this virgin daughter of Zion is shaking her head behind him saying, well, You silly fool. What did you think would happen to you? And so, we have this virgin daughter again. But now, the virgin is whom? Whom? But very much like, so where would all Israel go? Here come the Assyrians. They go behind the walls. They shut the gates. That's why the king is checking out the pools to make sure that the water is coming in. And the virgin daughter becomes the city. It's Jerusalem, whose walls are like a womb, and the children are inside. So the children of the virgin are the people of Israel inside the walls being protected by these walls, really protected by God. And so here's the virgin again. The virgin will be with child in chapter 7. and 39, the virgin daughter of Zion is Jerusalem herself. Ha! Huh. So now, if you're at this time and you're thinking to yourself, well, Who's this? I I read about this prophecy in chapter 7. Now I see it again that the Savior of Israel is Jerusalem. Savior is Israel. It's Jerusalem. And maybe, just maybe, the King, the promised King, is Hezekiah. I mean, he's not perfect, but he's not bad. And he, he prayed. And you have to get your mind out of modern times. Okay? You have to put yourself back then. And this is all you know to this point. Hezekiah is the king. Jerusalem's the savior. When the enemies of God come, we just get behind the walls. We pray in the temple. Bam, they're dead. We go on. It's perfect. So... There you have it. It's Jerusalem. She's uh, somewhere around here. (laughs) I don't know why I put that map up. I just like the map. But Assyria comes down here and then it turns, not that far south, but turns around somewhere here and starts to approach. And at this point in 701 B.C., the Savior was the walls. She's the virgin. Again, the walls are like a womb. We get inside and we're safe. So is Hezekiah the king Go to 39. because This is the very end of this section. The very end of the first book of Isaiah. When I say the first book, you can really divide it into three books 1 to 39, 40 to 55, and then 56 to 66 is the third. They, it, they're perfect divisions. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house. And all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your sons who will issue from you, will, whom you will beget. Now notice that word beget and sons. All this language is repetitive. Um, anyway, <coughs> that these are in, they're in the line of Jesus in Matthew 1. And sons of Hezekiah he's going to beget. Um, will be taken away, and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he thought, There will be peace and truth in my days. Did you just hear that? What? Not you, Maggie. There will be peace and truth in my days. Isaiah says, Look, is Jerusalem the one... Is she the virgin? Well, uh, it doesn't look like it now, does it? Because as we have read on, the virgin daughter is the city. They're behind the walls. The children are in the womb of the walls of the city, right? But Isaiah says Babylon is coming and they're going to take away everything. And sure enough, we know this. About 140 years later, 130 years later, Babylonians come and they destroy the place. They destroy the whole city. So it can't be that. The city's not the Savior. I mean, it looked like it, right, for a little bit, but it's not. It's not. We're not going to be saved by a city, even though it's God's city. But what about Hezekiah? I mean, could he be the Savior or the the one, you know? He says to Hezekiah, all this is gonna happen, and Hezekiah says, Well, that's that's okay, because it's not gonna happen in my day. I don't really care about the future. I don't care about future generations. Is that something a Messiah would say? That I you know, if as long as everything's good for me and my family in my day, you know, my grandchildren get carted off to Babylon. What do I care? I'll be dead. That is not a messiah. So The search goes on. This whole thing here of this virgin to be with child is kind of up in the air here. As Isaiah's work is finished. We now move to chapter 40, and we see that there's more revealed about this servant. Now something, someone is coming. But as we said, if you go forward to 49 again, and we'll, we'll do communion in 49. And look at Isaiah 49.3 again. <coughs> well, look at verse 1. Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has concealed me. He has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel. (coughs) So it looks like the salvation... The deliverer, the glory of God, all comes through Israel. And so things are, but you know, from the womb, maybe the womb means Jerusalem. You know, it's kind of the virgin daughter was Jerusalem back in 38 or 37. So it's this open, what is it? What is it? You and I have all kinds of questions about what's coming in the future, right? What does a millennial reign look like? What does it look like if you know, America really does crash and we, aren't, we become a, a second world country or even a third world? If we lose our freedom and lose our power and influence in the world, what happens? What happens if World War III does spark in the Middle East coming up in the next few months? What is it all going to look like? And you see here, if you and I are reading these passages of Isaiah back in 700 B.C., or let's say we're Jews in the captivity, and and Jerusalem's destroyed, and here we are in Babylon going, is there a future for Israel? Is there a future for us? God made all these promises, but the city's gone. The kings are gone. The house of Judah is gone. What about the promise to David? There is no house of Judah anymore. There will never be another king. There isn't another one until Jesus comes. <clears throat> and for us in our age too, we're like, how, what does it all look like? What, is, what about my own life and my own future? And God gives us these sequential, takes us back hundreds, thousands of years, and says, "Look, do you see in the pages of my scripture how I control all of history, and that when it does come to fulfillment, who in the heck is Mary? Where's she from? Do you know? Is she, she's not from Nazareth. Is she from Be- she's not from Bethlehem? Well, her family's from Bethlehem, that's because they went down to take the census there. So we know she's a Judean. But she's an unknown. So is Joseph. He's an unknown. None of this makes any sense. But when we, now we have the whole scripture, we can look at it and say, look at God for over thousands of years taking care of his promises and his people and his prophecy and all of it. And when it does come to fruition, like, wow, that's weird. But we've seen the weirdness of it so many times that to us the weird is, you know, we don't see it as weird anymore. But we should because this is odd. All right, let's celebrate our communion and a few closing thoughts with that. So let's pass out our elements. We'll celebrate communion. It's in Isaiah 42 is the first servant song, and in this servant song is, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Um, And Israel is called the son of God in other passages. And so we could still be like, well, Isaiah 42 could mean Israel. Isaiah 49, he's called Israel. But Israel fails, fails. So do we all. The kings fail. The nation fails. The city fails. It'll get destroyed again by the Romans after it's rebuilt. Everything that everything that we could muster up or try that even comes from the chosen people, all of it fails. And so now we have this BAM, you know, here comes the New Testament on the pages of Matthew's gospel is there is a virgin. And it's not Israel. It's not Jerusalem. They all failed. And there is a king. but it's not even David. Because in Matthew's genealogy, David is the one who had Solomon through the wife of Uriah. What do you think Matthew writes that? Hey, by the way, everybody, don't forget. David's a murderer. <laughs> you know, he's not qualified. Nobody is. And then the virgin birth comes alive for us. Now we see. This is very odd, isn't it? That this maiden would actually have a child without being with a man. That she would be truly a virgin even after giving birth. In her womb was Jesus protected. Not in the walls of Jerusalem. In this frail Oh, nobody. She's a nobody. And all the things that surround the birth of Christ and Herod trying to kill him and all of that. Right? Looks like the Assyrians trying to kill, trying to stop, is Satan himself trying to stop the plan of God through thousands of years and he can't do it. Nobody can stop the Lord from doing what he will do. But how he does things are often very odd. That kind of makes sense. You've got to get ready for odd in your life if you're going to follow the Lord. So in Matthew, uh, sorry, Isaiah 49, let's just read it again and then we'll take our elements. This is a second servant song. Listen to me, O islands. That means all Gentiles, by the way. Pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother he named me. What is the name? Emmanuel and Jesus. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. That's the two-edged sword that comes from his mouth that is fulfilled. And here and in the book of Revelation, in the shadow of his hand, he concealed me. He has made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. We can see the fulfillment of that and the protection of Christ in his childhood. And in onward. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel. Israel here now becomes Jesus of Nazareth, in whom I will show my glory. But I, said, but I said, now this is the Lord speaking. I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. What does that mean? He presented himself to the people Israel, to whom he was the Messiah. And they said, no, thank you. Just like Ahaz, they said, no. I don't, we don't want you. We want a Messiah for sure. We've been waiting for one. But we don't want you. You're the wrong one. You know, he's a, this is why he's a man of sorrows. But then he says this, because the same thing is going to happen to you and me. Correct. As we're following the Lord, we're going to expect, well, all things are going to work out just smashingly well. Because what? I'm living righteously. I'm following the Lord. I'm loving his word. I'm praying. It's all going to work out great, isn't it? (laughs) You have no idea. Tell that to Job a few thousand years ago. Why do the righteous suffer? I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity, yet surely the justice due me is with the Lord. I don't make my own justice. You see, that takes vengeance and you making it right in your own way, right off the page, right out of the picture. He says, my reward is with my God. What a line. That's our Lord, and that's the life he's given us now. And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel may be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. And he says, is it too small a thing? I'm sorry, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. So he just said, I'm going to return Jacob. But the father says to him, no, that's not big enough. He says, I will also make you a light of the nations. I am the light of the world, John 8. What are the nations? These are the Gentiles. You see, the prophecy says that Israel, you're going to save Israel. Yeah, you're going to bring Jacob back to God. Yeah, but that's too small. We're going to bring them all back. Of course, it's not universal salvation. I don't mean that. But Gentiles, Jew and Gentile. So that my salvation, he says, may reach the end of the earth. (coughs) We must receive what God gives us. And who God has given us is the Lord Jesus Christ. As he said, he took the bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Sorry, I just knocked my juice cup over. I'll get another one. This is my body which is given for you. As he broke it and gave thanks, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me and in remembrance of him. Let's eat the bread. In the same way he took the cup also after supper, gave thanks and praise, and he said, This is the this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And as often as you drink this cup you bring into remembrance my death on the cross. This is the salvation of all of us through the substitutionary spiritual death of our Lord. And so in honor of him, let's eat drink the cup. We must receive what God gives us. We have been given the Lord. We've been given this ritual to remember him by. And we have also been given our bodies, our talents, our not so greatness. (laughs) Uh, And we should use them all as Joseph has or did in righteousness. Um, What has God given you? Whatever it is, it's all by grace. How are we using it? Everything that he has given us. How are we facing it? And we need to do that through, of course, the, uh, the, the vision here or the manifestation of our Lord in our lives. Uh, who has shown us the way in which in, in very strange things he obeyed his father. In very different things he obeyed. Let's bow our heads in prayer. We thank you, Father, for the new, we have a new signal down here. Yeah, no problem. Don't worry about it. Father, we are grateful and thankful for this time in which we celebrate your supper. Uh, We are so grateful for the gift of our Lord. We are grateful that you have shown us through your word that your prophecies, your promises come to fruition. They don't always come the way that we expect them. And the same is true for everything in our lives. May we, Father, be accepting so that we follow you in your will, no matter what. No matter what happens, to whom, to whomever. Because you have put all things in our path by your will. And it is your will we follow, not our own. We thank you, Father, in Christ's name, amen. All right, we'll take our offering. And then we'll do it. <clears throat> Thank you, Grant. Let's pray for our offering. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to give. As your believer priests, we worship you in giving. And it is a very real privilege to do so. Use these, teach us, Father, to use the gifts that you give us in your honor and in, in righteousness. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. uh is Chris alive in the back i I just see kids. did you what okay, good i say I saw kids come in. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't trust anybody <laughs> under five feet. Let's close in prayer. thank you, Father, for our time and our gathering. The closing moments of our service are dedicated to anyone who is. Come to be, uh, Not come to believe in Christ as your Savior, I beg you to please consider who is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the one and only Savior, the only one who has given salvation and not asked you to work for it, to do anything. But you must do something. You must believe. It's the same as holding out your hand to accept a gift. And the gift is Christ. The Son of God is given to the world. He died for your sins and the most miserable death on the cross. But he is raised again on the third day and seated at the right hand of God. You can join him in heaven forever if you accept him to believe in him as your Savior, your Lord and your Savior. Thank you, Father, uh, for all things. In Christ's name, amen.